the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I like Lent. And that may say something about me that I'm sure Mary Beth and Betsy could comment on. But I like Lent. I like the season that we are given by the church to focus in by self-examination and through other means on ourselves. But I don't like Lent because it gives me an opportunity to think about myself because I spend the rest of the year often trying not to think about myself necessarily. Or at least not to think about myself in the ways that Lent expects and encourages us to which is to look inside ourselves, and not just to see that we are sinners, which we are, but to go deeper than that, and to shine the light into the darkness, and to see exactly what causes us to commit those sins. What is it within us that causes us to keep sinning? Sure, it's easy to blame things on your parents, right? It's easy to say, well, Adam and Eve, that's the problem. I'm just downstream of that poor decision which I never would have made given the opportunity, of course. You know, I would have gotten it right in the ways they got it wrong. So it's not my fault. Yet it it is your fault. Yet it is my fault. Sure, we're we're born with a disposition to sin. We're we're born with what is called original sin. But soon enough, I, I make my own choices and I sin against God. And so Lent's that season that the church says, examine yourself, look at yourself. See what it is within you that causes you to sin. It's hard to think that in the 13th century, the church actually had to say this to her people and to her priests. Right? The system of penance that had arisen was such that you simply came and you confessed your sins to a priest, and he would consult a book, actually. He would look your sins up in a book and tell you exactly what you needed to do. He, He wasn't concerned necessarily with why you are doing what you did, just this is the way to make it right. So in 1215, when the Fourth Lateran Council met in Rome, the council father said, we can't continue this practice. It's not a good one. We need to be more pastoral. We need to be more psychological, if I dare call it that. We need to see why people sin. We need to hear their stories. We need to understand what is causing them to commit these sins that they commit. And so all the way back into the 13th century, the church was recognizing again the need for us to be transparent with how we sin against God. And so here we are now, 21st century, Christians entering into Lent, this first Sunday of Lent. And the first Sunday of Lent, the focus is always on both the temptation and depending on the gospel, the readings will be a bit about baptism as well. And so three years ago when we had these readings, I preached on that first Peter passage, which is a bit strange, right, about Jesus going down and preaching to the spirits and the connection of that to baptism. And so I'm not going to do that this evening. Instead, I want to focus our attention almost on what our collect focuses our attention on. Let me read the day's collect again. Almighty God, whose blessed son was led by the spirit to be tempted by Satan. Come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations, and as you know, the weaknesses of each of us. Let each one find you mighty to save. Right? So the collect frames for us our life, if you will, of temptation. It's Christological. 
right? What Jesus did, we do, right? Each day as we are sent into the wilderness and tempted by the things that are around us and the things that are within us, right? It's not always an external thing that causes temptation. Those can simply come from within, right? The fruits of those seeds, those bad seeds that we've planted within ourselves, you know, can spring forth. And so, like, as we're tempted, we think about Jesus, and not as the answer, though he is that, but also as the one who has gone before us. And so our gospel reading tonight from Mark does a couple of interesting things because in its passage about the baptism, as short as it is and as short as the wilderness, the temptation of the wilderness passage is, we have that phrase that's the, the words of God, you are my beloved son. And we just heard those last week at the reading from the Transfiguration. So the texts are connecting for us, right? These gospel readings are connecting for us this declaration that Jesus is God's beloved son. And so last week when it's shiny glory and and the disciples, three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, get to see Jesus manifested in his, his divinity in front of them, today these words bring us back and make us think about the baptism, and then immediately after the baptism, the Spirit, right, which is what the Scriptures say and our collect reminds us, the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. The third person of the Trinity takes the incarnate Son of God and says, I'm going to put you in this wilderness, and Satan's going to be there, and he's going to tempt you. Now, it reminds me as well as Genesis. And I think it's meant to remind us of Genesis. Jesus goes out into what's called a a wilderness, a desert. And I'm sure we have those images of parched landscape and and Middle Eastern, you know, uh, terrain, if you will. I was up at St. Andrews in in Valierma at the monastery again yesterday in the high desert, right? And it's it's parched, but yet Valierma, St. Andrews, because it has a spring there, is so green in the midst of that desert. But we we think of this wilderness as the desert, right? And we think of Jesus is, is out there and he's hungry. We're told elsewhere that he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, right? It's almost like he's wearing himself down to see if he can still withstand those temptations. Now think of our, think of Adam and Eve, think of our ancestors, think of how God gave them a garden. God didn't give them a wilderness, he gave them the opposite of whatever that wilderness would be. He gave them the garden of paradise. It couldn't have been greener, it couldn't have been filled with more great things to eat. And yes, that one thing that was good but wasn't supposed to be eaten, right? He, he set them up for success. They had the best lot in the block, if you will, right? God had given them the best of the best. So in as much as God made Adam, right? Think about it as like God made Adam his son the, 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 of, of man, you know, his son. He creates mankind, humankind, Adam and Eve. And then here in the baptism in Mark, we see that you're my beloved son and then puts them in the garden. The spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. Different yet For the same purpose, because even in that beautiful garden in Genesis, Satan was there. He had the freedom to tempt Adam and Eve. He had the the freedom to make use of apparently a serpent to to tempt Eve and, and ultimately to cause the fall through Adam and Eve. And so there's Satan in the wilderness. And we think that's where Satan belongs in the wilderness, right? Like he belongs in a parched and dry and barren place. That's where Satan belongs. But we have to be reminded that, no, he was also in the most beautiful landscape ever created. 
He was there, and just like Jesus, Adam and Eve were tempted by him. But wherein they failed, Jesus did not. Right? Wherein he surrounded by wild animals, Jesus, is, we're told, that he was with the wild animals. And as, and as much as, as they were tempted in this beautiful place, surrounded by all that was good and no wild animals. Right? To be blunt, the animals weren't eating each other yet. Right? There's this, there's this great picture that Christine and I love in the Vatican Museum, which, you know, good fortune of going for 10 years to Roma students. We were able to see it many, many times. And you come out of the kind of the medieval picture gallery, the medieval Renaissance picture gallery, and there in front of you, and some of the students who went maybe recall this, that you come around and there's this idyllic, this picture of Eden. It's perfect. It's got that really smiley camel in it, if you all remember, if you've seen it, right? And it's this beautiful picture, but there are Adam and Eve, and they're reaching up towards the fruit. And I joke with students and say, if this was a triptych, right, if this, was, if this had three panels, imagine what the next one would be. And then imagine what that third one would be. The animals would be eating each other, right? Because sin would have entered the world, and things would have gone Downhill very quickly, I imagine. But, but Adam and Eve, they're in this perfect paradise. They're not surrounded by wild animals. They're surrounded by animals that are, that are, that are in communion naturally with, with the creation and with God and even with Adam and Eve. But yet Satan is there in both places. And just like Jesus had the angels ministering to him, Adam and Eve kind of got to one-up the Son of God, if you will, though he's the Son of God, so it's hard to think of it in those terms. But, you know, they got to converse with God. They walked with God in that beautiful place. They, they were in communion with God, whatever that looked like for them or whatever that was. We don't know exactly, but, but again, they were able to commune with God. Jesus has angels ministering to him. They're both, in a sense, being supported Right? By these immaterial yet rational, uh, God the Father, at least the Trinity, and the angels. And so they're being ministered to. But again, wherein Jesus says no, Adam and Eve said yes. Wherein Jesus did not fall, Adam and Eve did fall. And so the question I think for us in Lent is what am I going to be? Who am I going to be? Which story am I choosing to be a part of? Am I going to choose to be more like Adam and Eve and give in to this temptation, right? Am I going to resist the opportunity through Lent to look deeply into my, my heart and my soul and see what's in there and see what causes me to say yes to sin? Or are we going to be more like Jesus, if you will, and, and through Lent strip away all the excess, all the things that distract us throughout the year, kind of face head on, if you will, these temptations, and like Jesus, come out the other side and say, no, I don't want to make those decisions. I don't want to sin. I think that's the choice that the text is giving us. And then I love that, that Mark couples it so close with the baptism and that, and that the other texts from tonight are also uh, coupled with the, the baptism because lest we think like somehow Adam and Eve had something that we didn't have, we as baptized Christians, have all that we need. I mean, we're not perfect, but neither were they in the sense that through free will they could make a poor choice. But through baptism and through the Eucharist, we are given the grace that we need to, like Jesus, withstand this temptation. 
But again, in order to do that, we have to peel away, and that's what Lent is all about. It's like getting out of our life those things that distract us. Earlier this week on my social media accounts, there was the litany of everyone who was going off. And good, if that's the thing you need to get out of your life, to get rid of, to remove yourself from its influence, then that obviously is what you need to do. But what is it for each one of us? It's different for each person. What is it that distracts me? Right? Because if we look hard at ourselves, those things that we, that we allow us to, tem- to be tempted by and then to give in to, they're not always bad. Sometimes they're good. Exercise is good until you make it your God because of self-image. Right? Eating right is good until you take it to an extreme where it starts doing harm. So again, these aren't always negative things, but... But yet, what are these things that tempt us? We need to identify those. We need to look into our heart and say, why am I tempted in this way? What are the things that touch me somehow that make me think about sinning? Because Lent is supposed to be, and I'm going to make an assumption here that we all want to kind of be on team Jesus, if you will, right? That we want to not sin. Because remember, Paul tells us you don't want to sin so that grace may abound. That is not the way God's economy works. The greatest sinners don't get the greatest reward because God got to put his forgiveness on display to a greater degree, right? We want to we resist temptation. Remember, temptation is not sin. We wanna, even when tempted, we want to stand up to that temptation and not sin. We want to be like Jesus. We want to we put ourselves in the wilderness where we've stripped everything away, anything that could distract us. And we want to face Satan head on, fully equipped and able to resist that temptation. That's what Lent is all about. And I'm glad that there's a season every year that makes me do that, that gives me the opportunity to do that. I'm not even original anymore in keeping Lent, right? I don't even think hard about what to give up or something like that. I keep going back to some of the same things. I will read Great poetry by George Herbert during Lent because, man, he knows how to talk about sin and forgiveness. I read Thomas Akempis as the imitation of Christ again because he knows how to talk about sin and forgiveness. I will revisit parts of Augustine's confessions because again he knows how to talk about sin and God's forgiveness. And of course I will strive my best to keep the daily office to allow the rhythm of the church to also speak into my life. I will give up meat on those days when I can get my family to buy into it as well, right? I will say no to things that other times of the year I may be more quick to say yes to. I will do those things, but they cannot be the ends in themselves. They have to be for the purpose, if you will, of creating our own wilderness, of creating our own opportunity to face the demons, if you will, our own and those that come from outside of us. And so as we begin this Lent, my prayer for us, my encouragement to you and to myself is, again, like the invitation on Wednesday says, it's to make a good Lent in part through self-examination by looking hard at yourself and seeing what's there. And to take advantage of confession or what is more properly called reconciliation of a penitent. Couldn't come last Tuesday to make a Lenten confession? Never done it? Want to do it? 
Stephen, Father Stephen and I are available. This is what we have been ordained for. Want to think hard about sin patterns in your life? Confession is a good way to do it. You might not want to say it out loud to a priest, but all the more reason, I think, to do it. You start vocalizing your sins, and there's a lot of shame and embarrassment, but through forgiveness and absolution, you can come out the other side willing to stand up to those temptations. Right? You want to you want to think about the ways you sin? You want to have someone reflect back to you, perhaps, things about yourself in your life? Open up yourself to a spiritual director or someone else who's just spiritually wise. We have trained spiritual directors in this church. I bet if you approached them and asked nicely, they too would be happy to do the thing that God has called them to do. Don't want to go to a spiritual director, but have a good friend who will actually name your sins for you, right? Not the ones that kind of look past your sins, but the ones that will name them. It's Lent. What a great time to do it. (laughs) Want to find out what your roommates really think of you? It's Lent. Ask them. (laughs) I don't know if I'd encourage this between spouses, but maybe during Lent anything can go. But that's the season we're in. So let's enter this season with our eyes wide open, realizing that tonight the scriptures are telling us, the church is telling us by by highlighting the temptation of Jesus, that we have a decision to make, that we have an opportunity in Lent, right, to be tempted, to face the reality of our temptations, and Lord willing, through his empowerment.